is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. I am your host, Mike Payton. With me, as always, is Keith Black Trudeau, and we've got another one. We're going to work today with a going-to-work legend, Pistons royalty. The Palace Prince himself, Tayshaun Prince, is today's episode. Keith, are you stoked about this one as you've been stoked about all the other ones? Absolutely. Uh Tayshawn Prince, I, I referred to him on, on Twitter earlier as the, the glue guy of the going to work Pistons. And he absolutely was. He was he was the one guy on that quote unquote best five alive that never made an all-star game. Uh his individual numbers don't stick out at you uh at first glance. But man, look if you if you look at the the individual moments and in, that we're going to go over today in this show. And the things that that he did to affect winning throughout his Pistons career, uh, it, it's really really impressive. Without question, I uh, you know, I, uh, a defensive stalwart, I would say at times a clutch player as well. Uh, just an absolute fan favorite. So really excited to to be getting into this one. Um, Let's let's just jump right into it. I mean, right right now we're kind of in this in no man's land. We were just talking about it before before we jumped on. I mean, there's no basketball coming up. Uh, we do have some football coming up, and if you got some football takes, Keith, I'm sure there's people that would wouldn't mind hearing one or two of them if you got any. But uh, uh, the Lions start up on Sunday. Are you looking forward to that? I I am like any other Lions fan on earth. Uh, I- I'm always looking forward to football season. Then a, a few weeks in, they they usually manage to crush my soul at that point. Yeah, we, but yeah, we, look, I, I I live down here in uh, South Carolina, just south of the the border in the in the Charlotte area. And yeah, I'm I'm walking through grocery stores and shopping for groceries, and I have a I'll have a Detroit Lions shirt on, uh, and you know there will be other transplanted Detroiters down here that'll give me a head nod or say go lions or whatever. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk for about two minutes and then it'll ultimately get depressing because, you know, that's, that's what the lions have done to us uh, over my lifetime. Yep. It uh, I'm, I'm right there in that same boat with you. At least it's nice that I get paid to do it. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's not, it's not as bad. I am very optimistic about this Lions team though. Uh, very, very optimistic, but we're going to talk. We're not here to talk about the Lions. We're here to talk about Tayshawn Prince. Let's get right into it. Uh, as we do, let's start in the early years. Let's go back to Dominguez High School. Uh, was Tayshawn a, a, a big prospect uh, during his high school days? All right. For, uh, for those people that don't know Dominguez High School or have never heard of it, it's in Compton, California. And they are traditionally a basketball powerhouse. Growing up in, in suburban Detroit, I knew about them because I would read about them in the USA Today when they unleashed their high school uh, reports every week. And 
Tayshawn Prince was the star of that team for, and for, for a little while he was uh, succeeded by Tyson Chandler and yeah, he, he was an outstanding high school player, played in the McDonald's uh, game. He was a second team, all American, very highly touted prospect, went to Kentucky. And I, I and I hesitate to call this a, a down period for Kentucky because they're Kentucky, but you know, people think of Kentucky today, they think they're getting, you know, three or four of the top 20, 30 prospects in the country every year. This was Tubby Smith, Kentucky, where they, they took a more conservative approach at it. And Tayshawn was really their, I would say, their best prospect for that entire run uh, from 98 to 2002. About halfway through his freshman year, uh, it didn't take him long to, to become a starter. And he was one of the top uh, scorers on the team, really, for the rest of his his career at Kentucky. They never made a Final Four, but they always made a an NCAA tournament run. And I, I think he kind of got penalized uh, for that because this was, again, just to set the time period, uh, this was 2002, was uh, Tayshawn Prince's senior year at Kentucky. And this was the era of the Kwame Browns, Tyson Chandler, Eddie Curry, uh the, the, these young high school kids uh, coming out of uh, straight to the NBA, not even going to college. So for a, a four-year college player, when we talk about uh, prospects getting penalized for staying in college, this is really when it started, this this early 2000s period. And it was almost a, uh, well, if you stayed in college for four years uh, without jumping to the NBA early, obviously there must be something wrong with you. So, so even if though Tayshaun Prince, highly productive college player, uh, I, I think maybe he got uh, a little bit of a knock for being, even though he was 6'9", he was really skinny, I think maybe 210 pounds. His athleticism, he, he wasn't unathletic, but he did. He also didn't jump out at you. So even though he, I think he was clearly one of the most successful college players in the O2 draft. But he fell out of the lottery, and he, he really fell to the end of the first round where the Pistons got him at 23rd in the 2002 NBA draft, which looking back at that draft class, you know, that was one of Joe Dumar's ultimate steals. With the 23rd pick in the 2002 NBA draft, the Detroit Pistons select Tayshawn Prince from the University of Kentucky. Tayshawn is not here. Damn it, Tayshawn, why weren't you at the draft? That's he wasn't it. even at the draft. <laughs> he wasn't I, I'm, sure, look, I'm sure he had a good reason, because even yeah. though I just spent the last three minutes talking down his draft stock, but he, he was still going to be a first-round pick at some point. For so sure. I, I do wonder why he wasn't at the draft. I, I don't recall ever hearing an explanation for that. You talk about that Tayshawn being a steal. I mean, going back in this draft, just kind of looking at at some of the names that were in here, this is not a very good draft. And to get him at twenty three is is a big deal. I mean, you I mean, this is the Yao Ming Amari Stoudemire draft. But other than that, the third pick in this draft is Mike Dunleavy Jr. Uh, you know, who was a fine fine prospect at Duke, but like did not do anything in the league. Uh, this was the Tis Tiscavili Tis. Tiskavili, am I saying that right? Probably. Uh, I believe it. Yeah, I believe it's pronounced Skidishvili. Skidishvili. 
yeah is probably the most notorious like all-time bad uh other than darko he, up there yeah. <laughs> like uh you know dewan wagner there's a lot of guys like he should be a top five pick in this draft i mean i when we do our redraft of this in in 2025 or however long it's gonna take <laughs> us to get there he's probably gonna be like the third pick but um so yeah that's a really interesting uh draft so uh you know he comes over to the Pistons and uh, you and I were talking off the air and you early on in his career is rookie year. It, it things are kind of weird there. Things are, 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 are not really gelling that well with Rick Carlisle. Tell me, tell us more about that. Okay. So I, I want to start out. This is at least as a Pistons fan, this was the very first year where I discovered summer league and I understand summer league and, 20 years ago was not what it was today. There wasn't big fanfare. There were multiple leagues all over the place. Um, The Orlando league, the Vegas league, you know, there was one in, I think Denver for a little while, Utah. Um, But really it was just like reading box scores and occasionally ESPN uh, two would put one on. And I, I only bring this up because the, the, the Pistons had already drafted a small forward in the first round the previous year, uh, trying to look for their Grand Hill replacement. A guy named Rodney White, a lottery pick. I think he was the ninth pick in the draft, maybe 10th, something like that. Didn't last long. And Yep, yeah, but he was a one-and-done from, from Charlotte University. And he was the exact kind of guy that NBA scouts were drooling over at the time. Uh, athletic, super young, uh, showed some skills. Uh, did not work out at all. Uh, Rick Carlisle, uh, who joined the Pistons in 2002, uh, really helped turn that entire team around. Won 50 games his first uh, season as coach. Uh, he was coach of the year in his first season as coach of the Pistons. And one of the things he did, he he planted Rodney White on the bench and said, you're not ready. So going forward to summer league, uh, uh, summer of uh, 2020, or excuse me, 2002, as a Pistons fan and all the other Pistons fans, we're all looking forward to this summer league and thinking, okay, this is going to be Rodney White's coming out party. This is, he's going to show what he's learned uh, from the bench over the past year. And it turned out, you know, Tayshaun Prince was just clearly the best player in the team. And I, I don't ever like to put stock in summer league, but it was just, he was just clearly so much. And I wish I had the data in front of me. I, I don't, I can't find it for the life of me. Again, these were obscure games, but I remember following them at the time. And, you know, Tayshaun Prince was just clearly better than Rodney White. And, you know, Joe Dumar certainly thought so because, you know, by the time the season started, Rodney White had been traded out of town. So he had essentially cleared the deck for Tayshaun Prince to to be that next guy at the small forward position. Now, Rick Carlisle uh, clearly saw things differently uh, because at that time, the the Pistons and, and any Piston fan of a certain age will start to cringe when I say this name. Uh, Rick Carroll had a guy named Michael Curry starting at small forward and, and who a lot of us uh, in, in Piston land back in the day, we used to nickname him the binary man because at the end of the day, even though he would start every game, his box score would be just ones and zeros. And, that 2002-2003 season, we were really looking forward to Tayshaun Prince uh, growing into that starting role or at least being getting a rotation spot. 
That never happened uh, with Rick Carlisle, who, for whatever reason, just did not trust Tayshawn Prince any more than he trusted Rodney White. And he did get, throw the uh, fans a bone a little bit. He started them for five games, I think, at the end of November. Uh, all against playoff teams. Like, this was a tough stretch. The, the Pistons won three of those five games. Uh, but Tayshawn Prince, even though he started, he still only played about 20 minutes per game. Uh, didn't score very much, didn't take very many shots. And then from that point, I Carlisle just kind of used that as an excuse to bury him on the on the bench for the rest of the season. And that was kind of hit for Tayshaun Prince's uh, uh, rookie season until the playoffs started. He he didn't even play for half the half the season. He he got like 40 some DMPs despite being healthy. Uh, and again, the, the starting small forward on the on the team, Michael Curry, was averaging, I think, three points and in, in one rebound a game. And then Corliss Williamson was eating up those backup minutes behind him. So it, it, it was one of the, it's, it's the first time in, in my life as a Pistons fan where a coach's decision kind of turned the fan base against him. Uh, and, and this was not, I mean, Michael Curry wasn't starting himself. It was Rick Carlisle's decision. So I, I kind of felt bad for Michael Curry at the time because it was just clear, even though he was a good veteran uh, role player uh, in his mid thirties, it was just, Tayshaun Prince was the guy with the upside. You weren't going to win a championship with Michael Curry at small forward, right? Right. Absolutely right. Or with or at coach, uh, now that we bring that up. Um, but it, it is strange because once you get to the playoffs, Tayshaun gets some more playing time and immediately flourishes in Orlando uh, against Philly. Like, this is this is where uh, Tayshaun, to me, like, you know, I, I watched basketball that season and I was aware of Tayshaun and everything, but this is where, like, Tash, it, it was like, who's this Tayshaun Prince guy? Like, wow, look at him go. You know, he, he's, he's putting up 20 points uh, against Orlando. He gets another 20 against Philly. Uh, he, he's clearly one of the best players on, on the floor. It's, it's, it's strange that I, I'm just now seeing most of him here. Um, you know, I, I would say that this is where he becomes a, a, a name. I mean, it, am I right? Am I wrong? Game five of the first round against Orlando. And this, Tayshaun Prince is really the guy that saved the Pistons from becoming one of those cautionary tales, uh, those 1-8 upsets in NBA history, because Tracy McGrady was beating them by himself. Uh, First four games, uh, he was averaging over 36 points per game, (laughs) 50-40 splits. He was absolutely destroying uh, the entire Pistons team. And Tayshaun Prince didn't even play two of those first four games. Got zero minutes. And famously, uh, Rick Carlisle finally, in a moment of desperation, throws up his hands and say, "Okay, we're. I've I've got nothing else I can go to. Uh, I'm. Let's use this insanely long arm, six foot nine rookie forward, and maybe who knows? Maybe he might have a defensive impact on the floor. And that's exactly what happened. Um, very first game Tayshaun Prince uh game five his first appearance in the rotation comes off the bench uh plays 32 minutes Tracy McGrady scores just 19 points uh game six Tracy McGrady gets his 37 but he he needs 28 shots to do it it was not a terribly efficient game at all from him and in game seven when the Pistons complete their their 3-1 comeback to win the series uh Tracy McGrady has a terrible game, shoots seven for 24, uh, scores just 21 points. Tayshaun Prince in game seven, uh, 
as a rookie scores 20 and it's, it's a highly efficient 20. He shoots 70% from the floor. And this is when the national media starts talking about, wow, where'd this Tayshaun Prince guy come from? He's, he wasn't even playing uh, during the entire regular season. The, what, what's going on here? And that, that this shine and Rick Carlisle, Hall of Fame coach, one of the greatest coaches of all time. But I, I think locally the shine started to come off of Rick Carlisle's uh, and credit for him for making the decision that he didn't want to make uh, for the better of the team. But I think the fan base kind of soured on him just a little bit because he was proving that he really probably should have been in the rotation most of the season. And like you said, the round two against Philly, uh, Tayshaun Prince keeps it going. Uh, game two against the Sixers. Uh, now the, the Pistons are down by two points with time running down. Like, I don't know, under 15 seconds on the <laughs> left in the fourth quarter. And Tayshaun Prince after Allen Iverson famously misses two free throws that could have put the game away, Tayshaun Prince gets an isolation, uh, takes, uh, I want to say it was Aaron McKee, uh, baseline to the right-hand side, dribbles right, spins left with this absurd-looking scoop shot that goes in to tie the game, and then steps that up with seven more points in the overtime to get the Pistons to win uh, game two. And then in the clinching game of that series, which no one remembers, uh, Allen Iverson had two chances to win the game. He had the ball isolated against Tayshawn at the end of the fourth quarter, uh, tie game in game six. Uh, Tayshawn doesn't even allow him to get a shot off. He he completely blankets him. And time runs out before the Sixers can even try to score. And then to put the game away with, I think the Pistons were up two or three uh, in the final possession of that overtime. Once again, Tayshaun Prince is isolated on Iverson, and Iverson throws up a horrible scoop shot that barely hits the rim. It was just it, – it, that entire 2003 postseason was really a, a a tribute to the stuff that Tayshaun did, the little stuff that allowed the other players to thrive, that allowed you to win games, that allowed you to win big games in the playoffs. And that, that was really his coming out party, which is – and really an NBA history unique for a rookie to score more points in the playoffs than he did in the regular season. Well, you mentioned that uh, the city was kind of turning against Rick Carlisle. Well, as we know, Joe Dumars was kind of feeling the same way. Carlisle's let go after this season. Larry Brown comes in and Tayshawn becomes a big, very big part of this team. Yeah. And again, I want to be a hundred percent clear. I don't want to imply that, Tayshawn Prince got Rick Carlisle fired. It, I, I, I do not want to put that out into the air. I don't believe that. But it certainly didn't help. And I, I know Rick Carlisle's firing had probably way more to do with management uh, other than Joe Dumars than it did his actual performance. Obviously a great coach. But I'll tell you what, Larry Brown, who Tayshawn Prince, we just went over the fact that he, he stabbed uh, – the Sixers to death in the playoffs in, in 2003, that, that season before Larry Brown, their coach at the time now comes in and gets to coach Tayshaun Prince. So of course, you know, he's a fan already. And that's, as you said, that's Tayshaun's first year as a starter uh, averages a modest, you know, 10 points, five rebounds, but it's still way more than they were getting before. And yeah, the, 
I, I again, I don't want to say that he's a star of this because he's not. He's averaging ten points a game. Uh, but that 04 Pistons team, especially after acquiring Rasheed Wallace midway uh, through the season. Now, they're arguably, I still think, the greatest defensive team of all time for one season. Uh, they're, they're holding teams under 70 points routinely. I think they almost doubled the all-time record for holding uh, opponents under 70 in the shot clock era. They're, they were just that good defensively. And Tayshaun Prince, uh, even though he wasn't the best defender on that team, arguably not even one of the best two. Those are the Wallaces. He was their point of attack guy. He was the guy that your highest scoring uh, two guard or small forward, he was the guy uh, guarding them in isolation every single game. It didn't matter who it was. And uh, he, he was kind of the head of this of the snake of that Detroit Pistons defense. And you really saw that show through in the playoffs. Uh, people would remember, and this is Tayshaun Prince's uh, most memorable moment, uh, really as a player uh, in the NBA, one of the most memorable plays in NBA history in the playoffs. Uh, game two, Pistons are down one nothing in the conference finals to Indiana. Uh, there's time running down uh, in the fourth quarter. Pistons are up two. They're, they're just trying to hold the lead at this point, and uh, Chauncey Billups gets stripped, and Reggie Miller leaks out ahead of everybody, and it looks like he's going to tie the game. Indiana's got momentum going into overtime. And Tayshaun Prince, as everyone remembers, uh, comes out of nowhere. He's maybe four or five steps behind Reggie Miller at this point. Miller slows up just a little bit. I think he's in his late 30s at this point. But obviously, he's six foot eight. Uh, he can very much make a layup. And Tayshaun Prince comes out of nowhere and swats it. Uh, cleanly just before it hits the glass. Hamilton trying to get free of Miller on the baseline. Gave it right back to Wallace. O'Neal blocked it. Four on the shot clock. I don't know if Phillips knows that. He lost the handle. Tinsley, Reggie Miller. And it's blocked again. Oh. What a block. How did Prince get there? What a block. I didn't think it was any way possible for him to get this shot. Jermaine O'Neal's face just says it all. It really does. Is that uh, Mark Jackson screaming? No, it's Doc Rivers. Oh, Doc Rivers. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But I think Doc can't believe it either. Amazing blocks that I have ever seen. He had no chance. I'm telling you, Brad. No chance to get this. Yeah, the whole Indiana crowd is screaming for goaltend because I, I don't think anybody thought it was physically possible for a human being to, to make up that kind of ground and, and block a, a layup before it got a chance to hit the glass. But it, on replay, it was a very clean block. And Tayshaun Prince was going, had so much momentum, it carried him you know, 20 feet into the stands. It still gives me goosebumps to this yep. day. And, um, and you know, I, I have the uh, 2004 NBA, uh, or not NBA, 2004 Pistons, uh, DVD, and uh, you know, so they they the the team looks at that moment as like a real turning point in that playoffs. Like if they would have gone down two two nothing, like it probably would have, uh, or then they would have gone back to um, Indiana, and, and and things would would have been bad. Um, but that's that's not what happened. Uh, you know, so or they would have gone back to Detroit. Sorry, down two nothing. 
Uh, but that's not what happens. So I mean, do, do, do you do you believe that not only is this the greatest block of all time, but it is an incredibly important moment in this entire playoffs? It, it's hard for me to be unbiased here because I'm a Pistons fan, and I, I know when people bring up the greatest uh, blocks of all time, obviously uh, a lot of people today bring up the LeBron James block on Andre Iguodala in the in the 16 finals in Game Seven. I, I think this block was a little more impressive because if you if you look at that Iguodala, Iguodala block, he has to double clutch because there's other defenders there, and he kind of gives LeBron time to catch up. Reggie Miller's wide out. He's, he's wide open. He, there's nobody around him. He, he's free to just lay the ball in, and Tayshaun Prince has to cover a little bit more ground to get there. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd call it the greatest block in playoff history, but it certainly is in, in Pistons history. And it, it might be uh, the most significant block, uh, at least in my lifetime, uh, in, in playoff history. It's one of those things I wish this was a video podcast sometimes because I want to go back and slow it down, pause it. He's at like half court and Reggie's like at the free throw line. Like the, this shouldn't have happened. It, nope. it just should not have happened. And I think if you tried to do it, if you if you tried to do it 10 times, he probably still just does it one of those times. One out of 10 times. He just, he, it, it's just, it's almost impossible that it happened. Uh, but it's, I, I love watching it. I'm glad that the NBA has also sort of celebrated it as a, as a big impactful moment because it was, it was, you know, it's yeah. a really great moment. Um, but the great moments don't stop there. Uh, the, 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 the Pistons obviously get past the Pacers. They go to the NBA finals and Tayshawn is going to play a huge, huge role in the, uh, the Pistons winning this, this NBA championship. Um, uh, tell us about that. Yeah. The, the, the Pistons are, they, they win the East, uh, in a tenacious rock fight with Indiana. The final score of that game, I want to say is 69, 67, uh, of, of the clinching game six. And Tayshawn Prince made a great block in that game, too. And he also actually hit the the game-winning jumper, the game-clinching jumper to put that put that one away. So they go to the finals and to the against this celebrated Lakers super team, uh, where they acquired Carmelo and Gary Payton, two first-rate Hall of Fame uh players to to get them back to that championship level after losing in 2003. And, and you know, that team had some turmoil that season, but everyone looked at that 0-4 finals as Lakers are going to win in four. Maybe the Pistons can do what the Sixers did in 0-1 and, and take one game from the Lakers, but they just don't have enough talent because everyone just looked at the offensive end of the floor. They didn't look at how good the Pistons were defensively because they didn't give much respect, at least most people didn't, to the Eastern Conference at that time. In, instead of looking at... uh how the Pistons play defense. It was more of a, okay, they, they play in the, the JV conference. Uh, there's nobody good in that conference. The Lakers are just going to wipe them out with scoring. And, and as everybody remembers, that never happened. And the, the Pistons strategy at that point uh, was very much, okay, let Shaq and Ben Wallace just beat on each other the entire game. We're going to help as little as possible on him, but Kobe Bryant, uh, we're, we're going to establish our own Kobe rules. We, we are not going to let Kobe Bryant get off uh, under any circumstances. And 
as I stated before, Tayshaun Prince, the point of attack defender for that team, the, the guy guarding the ball uh, on Kobe Bryant the entire series. And yes, he had a lot of help behind him. He had the, the shot blockers, uh, two of the most uh, mogul paint defenders ever in Rashid and Ben Wallace. But out, out beyond the three-point line, it was Tayshaun Prince out on an island. And Tayshaun Prince uh, uses that incredible wingspan of his, that high defensive IQ. Uh, Kobe just has maybe the worst series of his life uh, in, in his prime as a basketball player. Uh, just 22 points a game, uh, shooting splits 38% from the floor, shot 17% from three. Uh, Tayshaun Prince would not let him get anything. Uh, I think he only had four more assists than he had turnovers for the entire series. Just a god-awful series from Kobe Bryant. And some of it was him being in his own head and trying to prove himself on the biggest stage, as he always did in the finals. And a lot of that was Tayshaun Prince being in his head because he couldn't, much like Tracy McGrady the year before, he couldn't figure out how to attack Tayshaun because Tayshaun couldn't. And this was the what made him a great defender at the time is because he was so tall, but his arms were so long that he he could stand several feet away. He could have a massive cushion that would neutralize your speed, but his arms were so long, it didn't matter. He could get back up and contest you on a, on a jump shot almost instantly. So it was really difficult to figure out how do you get rid of this guy that, that's constantly on you defensively. And to me, that was Tayshaun Prince's crowning series as a basketball player. It wasn't his most productive offensively. But if, if you look at how he played uh, defense against one of the three or four best uh, scorers in the history of basketball, and Kobe never had a series like that since. That, that, was, that was really... I don't want to say he deserved finals MVP votes for that, but that that was for a role player. That was why I think one of the greater performances in, in the history of the finals, at least to me, at least the most unsung performance. Yeah. I mean, without question, it's it, when you can go out and shut down, uh, in my opinion, the second or third best player that's ever played this game uh, in, in a in a crunch time moment with the lights on bright in the NBA finals, that's that's the type of thing that you, you should get remembered for. And uh, and yeah, and 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 like we said earlier, the guy was a defensive stalwart and uh, and he was able to shut down Kobe. But going forward, he was able to shut down even more people. This is a guy that made uh, four straight all defensive uh, NBA teams after after this season, 2005 to 2008. If you if you needed a defensive guy, Tayshawn Prince was there. He was one of the guys you you needed. Um, so 2005 though is you know we we talked off the air. This is probably his best individual season as a scorer, defender, uh, all around best season. Um, was in line for the most improved player of the year award, and somehow did not get it. It actually went to Bobby Jackson. Bobby Simmons. Excuse me, Bobby Simmons. I get my Bobbies mixed up. Uh, Bobby Simmons, not Bobby Jackson from the Sacramento Kings, but Bobby Simmons. And and the second uh, runner-up was uh, uh, freaking, I lost my part on my page. I'm so bad at this. Uh, Primos Brizak of the Charlotte Bobcats. I don't even know who that guy is. I don't uh, even remember him. You, you should. He was a piston for a year. What was he? Did he play? Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, well, I wouldn't say he played, but that 2008 Pistons team uh, in in a deal that brought him and Walter Herman. You remember him? Oh, I remember Walter Herman. Yeah. So yeah, he was he was with the the Charlotte Bobcats for a little while after being a, a bench player on the Pistons, but. Yeah, Primos, I will stick up for Primos. He he played on the expansion Charlotte. They were known then as the Bobcats that year. Uh had a he he went from a guy being a the 15th man on the Pacers to being a starter on the on the Bobcats. Went from uh scoring I think 1 point a game to 13 points a game. He obviously you're going to get a lot of uh, that that's going to raise some eyebrows. Same same thing with uh Bobby Simmons, but uh, th- this to me is more of a production thing. And also in 2000, it's hard for me to see Tayshaun Prince in like a most improved uh, in, in that kind of light, because he, I thought he was really good, uh, really right out of the, right out of the gate. It was, just, it was a matter of him just getting minutes. So if you look at Tayshaun Prince's uh, uh, scoring increases, you know, three points his rookie year, 10, his second year, 15, his, his third year, that that's great. Was, I I think a lot of the media uh, had a, the same difficulty seeing him as. Yeah, he he, his his scoring went up, but he also that's because his minutes went up. You know, I, I think we get we get a lot of that uh, today. With there are players today in the most improved race every single year. There's going to be a guy that he legitimately. Uh, looks a lot better than he did the year before. And there'll be another guy that puts up more numbers, but arguably it's just because he's getting more minutes. You know, side note, I like to see the most improved player change to maybe a comeback player or something along those lines. Cause I think the award's very vague, but looking back on it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, T- T- Prince in a revote, maybe he does win most improved just because, you know, the legacy legacies of the two guys that finished ahead of him were just so poor in comparison. Well, I will say this for Brzezak. He's a he's a two-time Slovenian All-Star. So and a three-time Slovenian Cup winner and a two-time Slovenian League champion. So he's decorated. He's he's got the he's got the uh, the gold, the lineage, if you will. Uh so but Bobby Simmons, uh I, I think it would be safe to say that this was like the one good year Bobby Simmons had, and then it kind of went Oh, it, yeah, and it earned yeah. him a lot of money too. Yeah. Hey. He, he got a- he got a very handsome uh, free agent deal. Uh, I want to stay with the uh, was it with the Clippers that signed him after that? Oh, or he 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 the, won it uh, with the Clippers. It was the Bucks. Yeah, yeah, he went to the Bucks. Bucks. Yeah, I I remember he was one of the the guys that yeah, the uh, really hit it big in the free agency of two thousand five. So, um, Tayshawn Prince helps the Pistons get to uh, to to back to the finals, obviously in two thousand five, um, and then a couple more Eastern Conference Finals as, as well. Uh, and and this is kind of where we got to do a little down talking of about our boy Tayshawn Prince because in two thousand seven, he was tasked with the uh, the the un, unenviable task of having to guard a young LeBron James, who went on maybe one of the greatest all-time playoff tears ever maybe in that 2007 series so i i I think to explain this series you actually have to go back to the summer of 2004 and this is something that happens every time the the pistons i say every time it's only happened twice but every time the pistons 
uh, raise themselves uh, to the top of the NBA, there's always some real changes because the Pistons historically have always done things differently on the defensive end of the court. And I think the NBA loves that, except for the fact that they don't want other teams copycatting them because they don't want a league of uh, 75 to 71 ball games because that's just not entertaining for the majority of the casual basketball viewing audience. So how, how the NBA tried to tamp down the Pistons this time was they took away the hand check rule. And to me, Tayshaun Prince was affected more than any other player in the league by that rule because he was so skinny. He was not very physical, even though he was very durable. But the one thing he had going for him, he was extremely smart. He had good lateral movement and he had those insanely long arms, which allowed him to keep a defender at arm's length, you know, several feet away. And his quote unquote lack of quickness didn't really hurt him, even against the quickest uh, wing defenders. So just for the people who may not know, can you can you kind of explain the hand check? Uh, yeah, and, yeah and what I was that is? about to get into that. Cool. Yeah, for, for people at home, and if you're under the age of 30, you probably don't really understand hand checking because it's been gone from the game for so long. But hand checking was essentially a way of putting your hands on a uh, ball handler without fouling them. You, you, you could stick your hands out. I mean, there were limits to it, obviously, but you could stick your hand out and kind of uh, nudge them. You could kind of funnel them where you wanted them to go. Just basically a, a way of making the offensive player uncomfortable. And it was a huge thing in the 80s. They kind of tamped down on it in the 90s. Uh, 2000s, they completely took it away. They banned it entirely. And all of a sudden, Tayshaun Prince, who was looking in 2004 like he might be a perennial defensive player of the year candidate alongside Ben Wallace, all of a sudden he had a weakness because he couldn't put his hands on people anymore. He could still use his length to contest shots, but as an offensive player, what do you do with a guy that's taller and has longer arms than you? You you drive the ball right into the chest, get them off balance, and that's generally what Tayshawn's weakness was after that point. You had these these big, uh, hefty wings like LeBron James and Paul Pierce, et cetera, that would drive the ball right into Tayshawn's chest. Didn't always work. Uh, Richard, Richard Jefferson made his career off of that just – trying to run over Tayshaun Prince because he couldn't shoot over him. Uh, so that sets up kind of 2007. And again, Tayshaun Prince in 2006 defends LeBron reasonably well. Uh, Pistons win that in seven games. And he just like Wade, who he defended very well in 2005, Wade comes back in 2006 and really has his way with the Pistons in that series, eliminates them. 2007, LeBron does the same thing. He comes back for revenge in the conference finals. And there, there were two thoughts on this. One, yes, he did adapt himself extremely well to how Tayshaun Prince liked to play defense. Uh, but there was also that issue of he Tayshaun no longer had that uh, deterrent behind him. Ben Wallace was gone in 2007. So it all LeBron had to do was get Tayshaun off balance and get by him. And the, the lane was mostly clear. Like I, I, the Pistons weren't a bad defensive team by any means, but once LeBron got to the basket, there was really no one that was equipped to stop him from scoring. That's what happened in that, that critical game five where the Pistons clearly were outplaying the Cavs 
for most of the game. It's just LeBron James was shooting out of his mind, and they had no one that could cool him off. And and Tayshawn Prince, uh, God bless him. And again, this is LeBron. This is one of the two greatest players of all time, depending on how old you are, probably. It's nothing. Look, it's not a uh, slight to say that LeBron uh, torching Tayshawn Prince for 49 points in a playoff game is something that that's a knock on him. It's just a thing that happened. And Tayshawn Prince, unlike 2004, was just he was handcuffed a little bit on how to deal with how he could deal with it. That hand check rule, uh, you know, I, I bring up the Knuckleheads podcast a lot. Um, and I think everybody should listen to it. If you love basketball, you should listen to this podcast. I think every other episode, there's a player on there that met, that talks about how that hand check rule affected their their ability to defend. Uh, it, it, yeah, and, and they would talk about how they would use that, as you mentioned, to kind of get the player to go where you wanted them to go. And uh, and now you can't do that anymore. And and uh, and man, and that and. I can't watch those those 2007 games. That actually, one of those games was on NBA TV this week. And I, I, I noticed, yeah. I changed the channel so fast <laughs> because it's just all, I just have visions of LeBron just flying over the top of the Pistons, just dunking all over. It's just a, it's, it was, it's one of the most uh, unbelievable performances. And it was kind of like, you know, LeBron had been a great player up until then, but that I would say that, series was the one where it was like okay this guy he's the guy he's he's the man in this league now yeah yeah as a historian i can't really avert my eyes to to something that happened in history even though it it makes me feel a certain way personally yeah uh yeah i i really it's it's a hard game for me to watch but i have to watch it every now and then just just to stay informed maybe get a, a new perspective on things I do remember that game a lot for how Chris Weber played on essentially one leg at that point in his career. He was the best player in the court for the Pistons. And I, I always it, it I, I feel sad for him, kind of like I felt sad for McDice when the Pistons lost to the Spurs in 2005. It was just one of those uh, history was just against the Pistons in that game. It was LeBron's moment uh, and their their time had passed. Yeah, well. You know, it's an it's unfortunate, but things do get a little bit better in 2008 for Tayshon at least. Uh, he gets to go to Beijing and be, become a part of a, a pretty important Olympic team. Yeah, the uh, the Redeem team. Um, as people would know it today, for a little perspective, the the USA basketball was really in a down place in the 2000s. Uh, they they what embarrassed themselves in the 2002 world championships they did it again in 2004 in, in the olympics in 2006 they they bounced back a little bit but got humiliated by Greece of all teams no 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 Giannis. he he might have been like 12 years old at this point um so in 2008 uh usa basketball decides okay we're gonna send our big guns we're gonna send our, our very best and they they wound up doing that. Uh, LeBron uh, joined the team. Uh, Kobe, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Dwight Howard, Chris Paul. It was a who's who of American basketball players in the in two thousand eight. And Tayshaun Prince was on that team. Not only was he on that team, he was a rotation guy. I mean, he wasn't a dominant scorer. Obviously, those guys were 
the, the mega stars were taking the shots, but Tayshawn Prince averaged about a quarter of the of, of the minutes each game. He averaged over ten minutes, which in a forty minute game with with a team with you know twelve perennial all stars, it, it kind of stuck out like his resume compared to everyone else's resume on that team. I th- I think it was a huge tribute to him that he was selected to be on that team. And the, the U.S. Uh, does win gold. They, not entirely easy. Uh, Spain, gave the, Spain gave them a, a serious run in the, in the gold medal game, but they do win. And Tayshawn, everybody in that team speak, spoke very highly of the stuff that Tayshawn brought uh, to that team with so many mega stars. Yeah, it was it was a big, big big moment, uh, you know, for for him to win that gold medal along with also having an NBA championship. And man, that t- they this t- the USA basketball really needed a rebound after after that previous team. I mean, it was it was so bad. Um, now, now I kind of want to get a slightly off topic here because I know and I and I don't have this in our layout, and I apologize for that, but uh, I don't think we'll ever talk about this player again, but. 2009 with the 15th pick Joe Joe Dumars goes out and gets this guy named Austin Day which I think a lot of people have always thought that Austin Day was Joe Dumars second attempt at having another Tayshawn Prince what are your thoughts on that and and I did hear I remember hearing a little bit about uh, Austin Day at the time and the comparisons to Tayshawn but that's look Literally, the only thing they had in common is they were both very tall and very skinny. Uh, Austin Day, son of uh, former NBA player Darren Day, he was also much like Tayshawn. He was a very highly touted high school prospect. He was probably more uh, touted than than Tayshawn was, if you believe that. But he went to Gonzaga, did not impress a whole lot of people, uh, kind of underwhelmed, and then. Joe Dumars took him, I think, one pick outside the lottery in the in the 09 draft. And that was like Austin Day was a better discussion than he was a basketball player. I'll put it that way. Uh insanely tall player, 6'11, I think, small forward, uh, had a great looking uh outside perimeter shot. Theoretically, should have been an outstanding defender with his mobility and his long arms, but it was none of that ever materialized in the NBA. I mean, he he bounced around more teams than I can count yeah. just because people kept trying to bring that out, bring out that potential in him, but it was just, it just wasn't there. It, the volume scoring wasn't there. Uh, the, the defensive ability wasn't there. He wasn't nearly as clever as Tayshaun Prince was uh, on that end to, to use the gifts that he had. He he would only show up to to play really maybe one out of every three games where he would appear really locked in. It, I again I don't want to sit here and just bash on Austin Day because we're we're comparing him to maybe the greatest uh, role player in Pistons history. Right. But it just it, it it was one of those. I I think it speaks more to how special Tayshawn Prince was that you can't just take a guy with his body type and his skill set and then have the same. Uh, type of uh, contribution. Uh, there was a lot of intangibles that it went into Tayshawn that allowed him to have the career that he had. Well, 
you know, I will say this for Austin Day. He he got it done in in Italy. Uh, won finals MVP there, and uh, he's making his money. He's still playing ball. At 34 years old, he's still playing for Ryer Venezia. I'm never, I'm not good at any of these things. Uh, but yeah, he's still playing ball, you know, and uh, for some of yeah, those guys, I, o- overseas ball, that's, that's, you know, it works out. Yeah. Um, the European uh, basketball, I think, fits him a lot better because the athletes are more his caliber. And it, look, obviously, he had a, great uh, pro career for himself he's still playing you know 13 14 years later after i just you know bashed his nba career so maybe that's on me a little bit uh but just relative to how tayshaun prince um how how his career went i i I think we can all agree austin day's nba career was you know very underwhelming just underwhelmed every every stop he was uh at until he went overseas yep uh, so now, you know, we're getting in sort of the later uh, part of Tayshon's Detroit, first Detroit run, um, and he becomes more of the team's veteran leader uh, as as some of the more, you know, Ben Wallace is gone, Sheed is gone, uh, Chauncey has gone. So it, it really kind of falls on, on uh, Tayshon Prince. And you made an interesting um, connection uh, off air where you said that, Tayshawn might be like another player that was standing in front of him at one point in time. All right. Well, I, I'd like to sub, I'd like to cover some ground prior to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tayshawn, of course, was the youngest of the that greatest five alive that go into work crew with uh, Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, uh, Rip Hamilton, Chauncey Phillips. He was significantly younger than all of them. So as we're going into the end of the de- uh, decade of the 2000s into the 2010s, when when those other guys are kind of aging themselves out of the league, uh, Tayshaun Prince is just hitting 30. He's still, again, he's not, uh, his scoring is increasing, isn't increasing a whole lot, but his minutes are, are going way up just because of how good he is defensively. He's averaging, you know, 37 minutes, 34 minutes, 33 minutes, you know, well into the 2010s. And I think Joe Dumars kind of kept him around to try to mentor uh, the next uh, generation, but the, I think the problem is the next generation was you know, Amir Johnson and Rodney Stuckey and Charlie Villanueva, and it was just, I, I think after a few years, um, it, it kind of became clear to Joe that, you know, the next generation he brought in, there was no point in having Tayshawn there to mentor guys that weren't going to stick around anyway, so I think Joe tries to do uh, Tayshawn one last favor, uh, he he ships him to Memphis, and this this wasn't completely um, magnanimous. I mean, he he did it to clear cap room uh, for that 2013 offseason, which he used on Josh Smith, which we won't go over now. I'm just letting everybody know that's what ultimately with that cap room that he used once he traded Tayshawn for an expiring contract in Jose Calderon, that's what happened to it, where he went out and used it on uh, Josh Smith and then Brandon Jennings in a sign-in trade. Um, so... Yeah, Tayshawn fi- finds himself on a contender again in that Memphis Grizzlies team, uh, goes to the conference finals in 2013, uh, makes the playoffs again in 2014. I think they were bounced in the first round by the Clippers, maybe. Yes. And, oh, good. My memory still works. All right. Um, but, but that's when you start to see his production tail off. Even though he's a starter, uh, he's now averaging single digits, you know, 6.7 points a game. 
And he's starting to resemble the guy that he replaced as a rookie in Michael Curry, where he's starting just about every game, but he's scoring in single digits. And after a couple of years in Memphis, uh, as kind of a ceremonial starter, they they trade him away and to Boston in the 2014-2015 season. And he's with Boston, and Boston's a 500 team at that point. They're they're just about to start their rebuilding phase, so they they have no need for him. So in, in a really curious move, Boston uh, about a month later shifts him to Detroit in a three way deal that allows Isaiah Thomas to come from Phoenix. They, that I, Isaiah Thomas, uh, the one that the you know the little five nine guy right. to yeah to come to Boston and. and Tayshawn Prince gets to finish out that season as a Piston. Uh, it, it's kind of a tradition. We keep uh, talking about these these great Pistons role players, you know, the Terry Mills, uh, the uh, Ben Wallace, even though he's not really a role player, the guys that leave the team and then come back. Uh, Lindsey Hunter, even. They, once they, 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 yeah, yeah, Chauncey. We're, we're, we'll get into him eventually. But, yeah, that same thing happened with him where they, they leave the Pistons. It looks like that that – chapter has been written and then they come back at the end of their careers uh i, I think it's it, it's kind of endearing but yeah that happened to tayshon prince too uh the pistons sent uh, jonas derebko ironically one of the young players that joe dumars had tapped as the next part of the next core uh they sent him to boston prince comes back to detroit and he actually plays pretty well they they also send luigi to tommy in, in that trade and if i can give five seconds on luigi I thought it's about all you're getting. I thought this guy was going to be incredible. I I was so bought into this guy's hype video that I thought like here we go. We've got the next like euro sensation and boy that did that not happen. Okay. Yeah. The only thing incredible about Gigi was his hair. Yeah, he had a great man bun. He did. Um All right, so Tayshawn Prince finishes out his his second run with the Pistons that little half season. Uh, to set the stage, this is also when they had traded Brandon Jennings for um, Reggie Jackson, and Reggie Jackson played out of his mind the last month or so of the season. And Tayshawn Prince actually had some really nice moments. He had a he had some clutch shots that helped them beat Boston, helped them beat Memphis, the two teams that he had played on previously, and then. Uh, he actually had this great game-winning stop on Dwayne Wade that eliminated Miami from the playoffs uh, towards the end of the season. That it, it, it's it's really weird because that that season ended so uh, poorly. The, the the Pistons were not good that year. They missed the playoffs, but I, I do remember those little Tayshawn moments where it was just so cool. Where yeah, he's he's here. The season's going nowhere. We know he's not going to be here uh, after the season ends. But it was just, it was really cool to see Tayshawn being Tayshawn again uh, in a Pistons jersey, even if it was just, you know, for a little five-minute stretch of every game where you just point at it and say, wow, yeah, yeah, he, I remember when he used to do that uh, uh, regularly. Well, you know, he finishes up that year in Detroit, and then, you know, as I, again, another off-air conversation, I don't remember him playing for the Minnesota Timberwolves, but he did it for 77 games in 2016. Uh, and as you had mentioned, he was kind of a, a facilitator there more than anything else. Yeah, yeah so it, his final season of his career, Tayshawn joins a very 
the young Minnesota Timberwolves team. Carl uh, Anthony Towns, uh, Andrew Wiggins, Zach Levine, all very young guys, all guys that want to take 20 shots a game. And Tayshaun Prince is brought in to be like the veteran facilitator. This He plays every game. He starts every, just about every game. But he essentially had become Michael Curry at this point, where he was averaging three points, one rebound, one assist. And it, it's not because he couldn't have scored more. It's because that he just wasn't even interested in shooting anymore because there's so many other young guys on the team that wanted the ball. And I, I don't think that that really helped that Minnesota team uh, for the context of this conversation. I I don't think they had a very good season, even though they had some young guys scoring a lot of points. I know Zach Levine got hurt early, and I think he was done for the year. But, yeah, they, that was kind of how his career ended, uh, trying to be a, a role player, trying to be a support player uh, on, a, on a pretty bad Minnesota team with a lot of young talent that really took a while to learn how to win games, and he didn't have enough time to be around for that. Well, that is Tayshaun Prince's career. Uh, now we get to, you know, one of my favorite parts of do, of these episodes, uh, legacy. What is Tayshawn Prince's legacy? I think it's pretty clear. Uh, when we, when we talk about utility players, and this is more of a term that started in baseball, where a guy that would be on your bench, but he in a pinch, he could be a designate, or he could uh, be a pinch hitter, he could be a a second baseman if he needed one, a third baseman. You know, he could play multiple positions. He, he wasn't great at any one thing, but he could do a lot of things well. That's kind of how Tayshaun Prince fit himself into the NBA. If you look at his overall production, I, I want to make a couple of points here. Uh, just under 13 points a game uh, as a Detroit Piston, and those were a lot of those seasons he was leading in the minutes where he was averaging 34, 35. 37 minutes a game and he was he averaged just under five field goals per game and I, I want to bring this up because in situations uh in the final three minutes of a game uh in in, in a five point uh, or less uh margin uh Tayshaun Prince hit 123 baskets in, in those situations in his Pistons career 123 for a guy that averaged five baskets a game in clutch situations, last three minutes of fourth quarter and overtime uh, within five points. Like when the Pistons needed a basket, they wouldn't always go to Tayshaun Prince, but when Tayshaun Prince uh, had a favorable matchup or when some, uh, the other team was doubling off of Tayshaun Prince, he was always ready. Uh, and he, he never, ever, ever uh, – felt that the moment was too big for him. He always uh, produced in those situations. And here's another stat. Uh, Tayshaun Prince, we we remember his uh, great block against Indiana. He averaged half a block a game for his career. Was not a tremendous shot blocker at all. Really chased on blocks or his specialty. But like in the, in the finals, um, he, he blocked Kobe Bryant one time. One, one time out of five games when he was guarding him every single time. It was just not blocking shots was not a thing he went for. It was just a thing that was situational to him. But in the same situ those same situations, those clutch situations, last uh, last three minutes of overtime in the in the fourth quarter, it with the five point margin or less, he blocked twenty six shots. 
uh, mm. a guy that averaged half a block a game for his career. He had tw- there were 26 occasions in his career it, with, with the game coming down to a basket or two where he blocked a shot that changed the game around. Again, Tayshaun Prince was, he was never a superstar. He was never even an all-star. He never even came close to being an all-star. But when his team needed him to step up, uh, he was the most consistent player on the team. And I'm dead serious about that. Absolutely. Um, You know, I think, I think that's, that's what you remember him for that those clutch defensive moments, uh, clutch scoring moments as well. Um, Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's like a lot of the guys that we've talked about already, Terry Mills and Lindsey Hunter. He's that role player. He is like the guy that Detroit loves the most, the hardworking defensive scrappy, somewhat scrappy guys that, you know, um, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, and then our next one is, you know, the usual, uh, and this is a little different because he just retired in 2016, which wasn't that long ago, but, but I guess if, if, if Tayshawn was born 10 years later, could he play today's game or five years later, maybe not 10, but could he play today's game? And I think, I think the answer has to be yes. I, I, I think, I think in today's game, maybe Tayshawn does a little bit more than what he was asked to do in the early two thousands. I think maybe you see a little bit more three pointers. Maybe you see a little bit more of those block shots. Um, I, I think the length and 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 the the skinny thing, you know, that's clearly not a problem anymore. Well, yeah, that's I, almost in vogue now. That's basically what almost. I mean, look at you know Chet Holmgren, who just got drafted the second pick, is the is the epitome of tall and lanky. Um, you know, sadly, he's not going to to play this season because NBA teams are stupid and allow their players to play in uh, games that have nothing to do with the NBA. But hey, I'm not going to get totally into that. That's for another podcast. But can Tayshaun play in today's game? Well, as as I went over before, the taking out hand checking, I thought hurt him significantly. But the, the flip side of that is he was still an all NBA defensive second team uh, four consecutive seasons after they, they took that away from him, where he he was still a very, very good defender. He just wasn't arguably the best uh, on-ball defender in the league anymore. And that's kind of how it it is today. And the flip side of that is as his, I would say, as they took something away from him defensively, his offensive numbers perked up. Uh, He he was able to score a lot easier. And I think that's the upside of what you would see today, where even though he wasn't the greatest ball handler, he had uh, excellent court vision, uh, very good uh, decision making skills. I, I don't I I don't know if his production would be more today. I, I I think it certainly would be because we play just at a faster pace. But his efficiency, I don't know if it would be any better. But as as you said, the 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 era of the tall, uh, very skinny, uh, oversized uh, wing with long arms that's that's twenty twenty two. That's where we're at right now. Uh, I, I certainly think Tayshawn Prince would fit in very nicely in today's game. A uh, very smart player could do a lot of things. I just, I just spoke at length about his his incredible versatility, and that's kind of what NBA teams look for nowadays. Uh, small yep. forward yep. types that can do a little bit of everything. Yep. Yeah, I, I think we're we're in lockstep on that, and uh, 
All right. So then we got to we got a new part of our show this week. We asked you, our listeners, to send in some questions, and we got a couple. Um, and uh, and and I'll go ahead and I'll read both of these off. First off, we've got uh fr- from Icewood Cade at Icewood Cade on Twitter. Who was his pl- favorite player to defend, or who do you think was his pl- favorite player to defend? Yeah, as far as who his favorite player was, it's more of a question for for Tayshon himself. I can only speak to uh, the players that it looked like Tayshon always uh, had a little bit of extra energy uh, for defensively. The guys that he looked like he enjoyed the challenge, and obviously two names stick out to me. That's that's Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady. Uh, those are two guys that were the two of the dominant scoring wings of their generation. Uh, Tayshawn Prince was always the guy that was assigned to guard those guys. And really he made his career off of um, defending them in the, in the playoffs. And that really never changed uh, to my recollection for uh, the rest of the decade of the two thousands. Every time the Pistons would play against uh, the Lakers or they play against uh, the magic or the Rockets when T-Mac was on the Rockets, uh, it always seemed like Trey, uh, that Tayshawn Prince would save his best for those guys, and he would play his best in those situations. Uh, so in my opinion, it, it would be one of those two guys. Maybe McGrady, because Prince had a few more games uh, against him because they were in the Eastern Conference together for, for the first couple of years. Okay. And then our second question is from uh, – I, I don't even know how to read this guy's Twitter handle, so I'm just going to say Finn. Uh, that's his that's his handle there his name whatever uh he he asked an interesting question so in 2004 the the Detroit, or excuse me 2003 the Detroit Pistons have the second overall pick as we all know they took Darko Milicic with that pick what if they had taken Carmelo Anthony how would that affect Tayshaun Prince um now I've heard in the past that 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 the idea was that they wouldn't have needed to take Tayshon or they wouldn't have needed to take Carmelo because they already had Tayshon. Um, so what do you so if they do take Carmelo, how do you think that affects things? Yeah, this is one of those great butterfly effect questions where one decision could affect ten decisions down the road. Look, to, if if you set the stage in two thousand three, uh, the Pistons don't have Rasheed Wallace yet at this point. Uh, they just let Cliff Robinson go. So uh, Mehmet Okur is kind of the the tag team partner with Ben Wallace in the front court. And Larry Brown did not have, was not a huge fan of Memo. His defense was not very good, even though he was a big guy. So a lot of people look at it as a either-or situation between who, who plays or who doesn't between Carmelo and Tayshaun Prince. I could see a world... And I know Larry Brown was a big fan of Carmelo. I could see a world where Carmelo or Tayshaun Prince plays the four, and they, they're out there together in tandem uh, in kind of a small ball situation with Ben Wallace at the five. I Again, that would be a question for Larry Brown, because I don't know if he would have, have approved of that or not. But I, I could definitely see that happening where, look, you have two uh, young wings, and both of them are too good uh, to be left off the floor just for some weird positional requirement that doesn't actually exist. So I I, I, I would like to think that a Hall of Fame coach like Larry Brown would, would figure out a way to get Tayshaun and Carmelo out there on the court at the same time. And I think the greater question is, 
does the Rashid Wallace trade still happen if that's going on? That's what I was right? going to say. Yeah. yeah. So like if you have Carmelo Anthony as your starting power forward, is is do, are the Pistons still out there looking for a little bit more size for the playoffs or are they looking at this tandem saying, man, these guys are super productive uh, skill-wise. They, they should get along very well. There should be some good chemistry there. Uh, maybe we should just roll with this and see what we've got. Uh, who knows? I, I would like to think that Joe would still try to pull the trigger, given how much talent they got for Rashid uh, for for such a small price. But I I think this is a great question, though. Uh, I I would like to look at it in more of a positive note rather than just saying, well, one of them would have to go. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah, it would certainly be interesting. Um... I think from a long-term perspective, I mean, it's a, it's a much bigger deal. Maybe they win 2005 finals. I mean, maybe they, they, they get, get in over some of these other teams that the 2007 Cavs. I mean, I know LeBron went on a tear, but like nobody else on that team was doing anything. It's not like Popeye Jones was, was, you know, putting up 20 a game or something or, or Booby Gibson or any of these guys that were on the team. Um, You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, it's it's one of the it's one of those things that you think about it every now and again and you just hate that it happened. You just hate that Darko Milicic yeah, well, was picked second overall. Yeah. Spoiler, we are we are eventually going to do an episode that's gonna be essentially about that that two thousand three uh NBA draft yeah. about the Darko pick over Carmelo. So I won't go into this too much, but it is very easy to look at, you know, what could have been and say that okay well if you add Carmelo freaking Anthony to this this great uh Pistons crew from in the mid-2000s like they're they're stacking championships they they might not win just two they might win three more who knows yeah well that's in fantasy land and unfortunately we can't go there wait actually we can next week we will be there 1989 NBA redraft we're doing whatever we want in this one. And, uh, and this is a, this is a good one. This is Glenn Rice, Sean Elliott, Mookie Blaylock, Tim Hardaway, Sean Kemp, uh, Vladi Divox, Uncle Cliff is in this one. You got uh, Dino Raja. Uh, Dana Barros is a name that I think a lot of people forget about, but is was a, was a fun player. Nick Anderson from the Orlando Magic. This is going to be a fun, fun draft no huge superstars but another one much like last week where it's surprisingly deep yeah i get to i get to talk about uh, uh the most accomplished uh michigan basketball player ever in, in uh, glenn rice and also i get to share some of my favorite memories of uh guys like cliff robinson and dana barrows yeah this is this is definitely not the most uh talented draft we'll ever do but it, it might be uh, my most uh, fun or my most interesting. The, the, the Cliff Robinson and, and Glenn Rice videos will be forthcoming. I love doing Glenn Rice videos. How much time are we going to spend on Jaron Jackson Sr.? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, he, he, I'll, I'll say this. He had a really great playoff run with the Spurs in 1999. Yep. I, I do recall that. But, um, yeah, that... I, I don't know if he if he's going to go in in the top fourteen of our redraft. No, I will I have to think about. It. I don't think so. I think he might remain an undrafted free agent. Uh, 
So um, that is what we're doing next week. And the week after that, we are taking a trip into the 2010s for the first time on this show. We're going to be covering a first round pick during the 2010s. Not going to tell you who it is yet. I want you to guess. It's not Andre Drummond. Uh, And that is what we've got coming up soon. Keith, tell the people where they can find you and what you're working on. My name is Keith Black Trudeau. Uh, my Twitter handle is charlatan28. I do an account fo- solely focused on uh, NBA history, basketball history. I put out uh, a lot of uh, old school NBA basketball videos. I just did one that I released today on Tayshaun Prince, uh, showing a lot of his uh, greatest moments. Uh, but usually, uh, usually during the off season. It's not entirely Pistons focused. I'll, I'll, I'll make a video on whatever uh, strikes me at the time, and I'm having a lot of fun doing our uh, doing videos on on some of our redraft uh, players that I know we're going to talk about. So there there will be if you pay attention to my Twitter handle, there there will be at least a Glenn Robinson and a Cliff Robinson, or excuse me, a Glenn Rice and a Cliff Robinson uh, highlight video coming up this week. I, I can promise you that. Uncle Cliff, future Piston, maybe a future episode as well. Uh, looking forward to that one. It's Sean Elliott is another future episode that's going to be a really fun one. We will one. not be doing a Sean Elliott uh, episode. Just no, spoilers. No, not doing a Sean Elliott episode? Oh, man. You don't want to talk about that like season and a half of Sean Elliott uh, Pistons basketball? Well, you, you chop off the one season. It was just a half season. Well, <laughs> no, it, it, I'll be... It was one season he got traded and then he got shipped back and then he got traded again. It was just, again, that 94 Pistons team, and I find a way to talk about them every episode. It was just the most uh, hard to watch Pistons team of my lifetime. And it's, I'm sure it's, it's hard for people that have been through this last decade to believe that, but it, it really was. Yep. 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 All right. Well, that is what we've got coming up next week, the 1989 NBA draft. Uh, you can find me at POD underscore Peyton. Uh, Hard Knocks last episode is tonight. What have I been telling you every week? Keith, what have I tell these people every week? Keith doesn't even remember. He's not been listening to me all this time. Wake up in the morning, listen to this episode, head over to Pride of Detroit, read my thoughts on the final episode of Hard Knocks. And then, obviously, Lions kick off on Sunday at 1 o'clock. I will be live tweeting that game as I do uh, every game all season long. You'll get my uh, What Just Happened column right afterwards. Plus, I've got a lot of – I'm sure I'll have a lot of thoughts on on what happens on the field uh, on Sunday. So keep it locked to Pride of Detroit for all your Lions stuff. Keep it locked to Bad Boys and Beyond for all your historical Pistons stuff. And, boy – I don't want to spoil anything, but we got some big, big stuff coming up soon. And uh, you're going to just have to wait. It's but big, big stuff. So we'll see you then. 